Justin Spiro. Welcome to Spiro Avenue. Great to be back with you. I'm very excited. Michigan State football on the horizon at last. I have been suffering through a terrible period of Tigers baseball. It's been the worst baseball season ever. College football season picking up. I'm excited. And I, I want to talk a little bit about something that has been bothering me about Michigan State. And I am excited for the season. I'm excited for that defense returning 8 of 11 starters. But something's been sticking out a little bit that's been bugging me. Okay, and I want to talk a little bit about this theme in general in sports. And let's keep it in Michigan. You looked at Jim Harbaugh. Numerous examples of this, but let's pick one. Jim Harbaugh is sleeping over at a kicker recruit's house in his bedroom, Quinn Nordine, and the media lapped it up. They thought it was the the funniest, silliest, cutest story of the day, and they really ran with it. And it, it, Jim Harbaugh is so quirky. Isn't he funny? Isn't he eccentric? Et cetera, et cetera. And then Michigan went out there and got pounded by Ohio State that season again, uh, again failed to qualify to go to Indy, and suddenly all the Jim Harbaugh hijinks going on his trips overseas and sleeping over in people's bedrooms uh, that are high, and still in high school, that stuff wasn't cute anymore. Mike Tice in 2002 is also one of my favorite examples. For those of you that don't remember Mike Tice, he was a boob of a head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. In 2002, he took over and had something called the Randy Ratio in honor of Randy Moss, where he said the offense was going to feature Randy Moss on 40% of the snaps, that they were going to get him 40% of the passes thrown his way. Everyone was talking about it. This is Mike Tice. He's on the ground in practice screaming at guys, pounding the grass. He's got the Randy ratio. He's kind of goofy. He's a silly guy, former line coach. He's this goofball. He was an endearing figure for about two months. And then the Vikings win 6-10, and and he got fired. And Randy Moss had one of his worst seasons yet, which for him was still pretty good, by the way. But, again, another example of these, these cute stories that just don't work out. And we see this again and again. And I, the final example, I would say, was, was really Marty Morningweg with the Lions. People might remember him storming off on the Harley Davidson when he got mad at practice. And he was talking about a, a restoring the roar in a new era in town. There's a new sheriff in town. And that was ridiculous. They went 2-14, and 3-13, and 13, and then he, he was gone. So you've seen this in sports again and again where you have these cute little stories where the media is lapping it up and, and the coach or the general manager or whomever is really running with it. It normally does not work out. There's exceptions. The Detroit Pistons adopted the ethos of the Oakland Raiders, called themselves the Detroit Raiders, had Raider gear on at practice, and they won two titles uh, at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s. So you can have a gimmick that works, but generally nine times out of ten it backfires. Michigan State's entire offseason has been a gimmick. It has been a Area 51-level secrecy uh, cover-up of what their plans are with this offensive system and with the offensive changes. Nobody knows what they're going to do. They're poking fun at their uh, failures last year. Everything's a wry smile. They're being so coy. It's so cute. If this team comes out and and shits the bed again, just like they did in 2018 offensively, the first three, four, or five games, they're falling flat on their face, scoring 10 points a game. This offseason, in hindsight, is going to be more infuriating than it has been in the moment. So they can have their little cute moments. They can they can laugh. They can giggle. They can make light of 2018. And if that offense is markedly better, no problem. 
But I have my own fears about it because they, they seem to be uh, having way too much fun with this. Nothing was amusing about 2018. But with that said, I'm optimistic. I have hoped that this could get better. It certainly couldn't get any worse than last year, but I do tread carefully. I have a little bit of concern with how silly they're acting about this whole thing. To me, it's as serious as a heart attack, but I also care way too much. My good friend Scott Anderson is also in studio. We're going to get to him in a minute. And no, it's not that Scott Anderson. It's my Scott Anderson, not the one of 97-1 infamy. But first, let's get to a Michigan State legend, former linebacker, former captain, former stud of the 2015 stacked college football playoff team, Darian Harris in studio. Darian, I'm going to bring you in right away. You tell me, am I wrong? Am I right? Where are you at? Do you buy that Michigan State's offense is going to be markedly better in 2019. I mean, I'm kind of with uh, what Coach Antonio has going out and, and what he's putting out there, kind of wait and see. Um, it's kind of fun for me uh, just because I know how last season went and I know that everybody's kind of uh, waiting for them to you know, want to spread and air raid. What is it? It's actually funny. I went to a wedding this past weekend. People were trying to get me to drink more so that I could give up secrets of the offense. I mean, I was literally having people say, you know, bringing me drinks like, we're going to get him to a certain level and he's just going to spill all the beans about this new offense. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is I'd, I'd rather just everybody wait and see. I mean, let's see what, what's going to happen. Let's see what Coach Salem's going to bring to the table. Uh, he's a fantastic coach and uh, he's going to bring a lot of new wrinkles, I think, to the offense. You know, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, I'm not necessarily sure that we're going to get out of what has worked in the past, and that's controlling the line of scrimmage, being able to run the football, and controlling the clock. The best Michigan State teams, the ones that you mentioned, that 13 to 15 stretch, it was all about time of possession, uh, basically leading the country in time of possession. That's what was the Michigan State way, lead the country in time of possession, have a phenomenal defense. Obviously, the defense is phenomenal. We'll finish no less than third. The entire nation has an opportunity to finish first in the nation. Controlling the line of scrimmage, controlling the clock, that's incredibly important when you have a defense like that you know i i have some fears going in uh regarding the the defense or regarding the offense rather the defense is of no concern to anybody that i know but if the offense here's the thing the offense doesn't need to be good this team could win the big 10 and go to the college football playoff with like a c plus offense you look at what they did last year they went seven and five before losing the bowl game to oregon seven and five with one of the worst offenses i've ever seen 32 points combined in the last four games. Didn't score a touchdown in three of the last four games. The one that they did was two against Rutgers. So my opinion is if they get to a C-plus offense, where they are the 50th, 60th, 70th best offense in the country instead of the 130th, they'll be fine. But I have concerns as an uh, unapologetic Mark D'Antonio slappy. He's on my wall in a couple spots in the studio here. I'm a huge D'Antonio fan. But I have fears that if this team comes out and struggles offensively again to anywhere near the extent they did last year, that will be the third offense of an elite level that this program has wasted in seven years. You were there for one of them, 2012. They wasted that defense. The, the offense was totally inept. They went 6-6, uh, six and six, won the bowl game against TCU to salvage a little bit of hope. With an elite defense, they went 6-6. Six and six. 2018, obviously, last year, that defense was third best in the country, number one in the country against the run. And they barely made a bowl game and struggled all year. And then, of course, in this hypothetical, that would be 2019, the third year out of seven. I have concerns for D'Antonio's legacy. If they come out 
and go seven and five, eight and four, and it's the same thing. Dominant defense, offense can't move the ball. I know you're a D'Antonio guy. I know you're loyal, but as a Spartan fan, you have to have real concerns about this missed opportunity, wasting a third defense in seven years of an elite level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that because of that, I just don't necessarily see that happening uh, this year. I mean, I think that I agree with exactly what you said. You look at, at you know past years, you look at 2015, uh, 2014, actually, you look at 2014, I mean, the offense, I think, was as high as it's, it's maybe been under D'Antonio uh, relative to winning games. It was really only in the you know 40s, maybe the 30 range. Uh, it might have peaked at that. 2015, I think we were hanging around the 60, 70 range in the country in terms of offense. And I think that just is a culmination of a lot of things, wanting to run the ball uh, and wanting to control the line of scrimmage. And again, time of possession. So it's just going to be a matter of if, if, uh, if Coach D'Antonio is okay with Coach Salem coming out the gate, spreading it out, which they're more than capable of. You know, the strength of this offense is at the receiver position, I would say. Uh, offensive line is put on a lot of good weight, um, you know, uh, relatively getting everybody over 300 pounds, which I think is incredibly important. Running back situation is probably going to be a little bit by committee with Connor Hayward kind of leading it off. But if you look at that receiving core uh, with Cody White, Daryl Stewart, and Jalen Naylor, I mean, that that's the strength of the team. So you'd want to get the ball in the hands of your hands of your playmakers. You would think they'd spread it out more and be able to do do that. Maybe want to run a little bit of a West Coast where short passes, bubble screens, quick slants really um, are actually in place of the run game. Uh, but again, you know, I, I just know that I know the philosophy that's worked, and it's just going to be a matter of are we going to change a lot with the times. I do totally understand the times of football are changing. You got to be able to put points up on the board. Uh, but you know, sitting over under at like 21. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are saying, and I, I agree. I mean, you score 21 points, uh, you're pretty much good to go with this defense. I can see them getting up to 28, 30, 31 a game. I think that they have the players and the capability to do that. And I think Coach Salem can call the plays to be able to make that happen. It's just going to be a matter of everything going right and going out and executing. Uh, but it's going to be funny, you know, this first game coming around, they open up with like two or three runs in a row. I mean, Spartan Stadium is probably going to start booing, you know, which is going to be funny. But I could almost see that happening just almost on purpose. Um, the other thing is you're playing against a mid-major team. We don't take anybody lightly, you know, by all means. You know, I, uh, you know, admittedly haven't watched a lot of Tulsa tape. It could be a pretty good football team. But if it's a team that you can kind of steamroll in a way, how much of your offense do you really want to show in the first game of the year against a mid-major? Well, I, I agree, which is why you know I'm phrasing the question not as uh, Friday being the end-all, right. be-all. But you know, the first three or four games when you get into the Big Ten conference season, the guy next to you, my buddy Scott Anderson, is, is a diehard MSU alum, diehard fan. You've been a little harsher on D'Antonio than even I have, Scott, I feel like. I mean, where are you at if this team goes 7-5? and five? I mean, th this is a disaster. Do you consider replacing D'Antonio at that point? If it's a repeat of last year, I would really start to look and say, hey, because it kind of falls on him where you didn't replace anybody on the offensive staff from last year. How do you not, you know, look yourself in the face and say, we need to make a change with the staff. With the, you know the play callers last year, it didn't work out like clearly, and just a little reshuffling of the deck. I don't know if that's enough. So if it happens again, I think it's inexcusable. I think, you know, I don't think he'll ever be fired. I don't think you know, especially with the turmoil in the upper you know administration of Michigan State right now with the president and um, you know the new athletic director. I don't think that'll ever happen. But um, you know, maybe it would be time time you know. It's, it's over, you know? I don't know. I, I'm in the position I would never want him fired. I, I mean, unless no. he's caught doing something highly illegal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, 
I'm a I'm a ride or die guy with Mark D. Um, you know, I and I'll accept that criticism if you want to call me a slappy, but I just he's the best coach we ever had. I don't think you're going to do any better than Mark D'Antonio. I think he he is always going to have you in that Big Ten race every second or third year, if not every year. So I'm a believer in Mark D'Antonio, but it does hurt the legacy if this team punts three defenses in a row uh, of that caliber. You know, Darian, I don't know where you're at with the Big Ten. I'm curious, you know, spreading it out beyond Michigan State. The favorite in Vegas right now is Michigan. There have been years that I have picked Michigan. When Jim Harbaugh was hired, I said that they would win multiple national championships. So I'm not a Michigan fan, but I'm not a, a delusional Michigan hater either. I don't see it with Michigan this year. I, I, I don't get why they are penciled in as the clear-cut favorite. They lost multiple star players on that defense, Devin Bush, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary. I don't see why they're this lock in Vegas to, to win the conference. They have not proven they can beat Ohio State. I mean, where, where are you at? Who do you see as having the inside track to win this conference? No, I agree. I don't see why they have this high ranking either. Um, uh, it's it's kind of a toss-up right now. I see it kind of three ways with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all kind of having a similar chance right now uh, to make it out of the East and make it to Indianapolis. And then I, I do believe that the champion will again come out of the East. Although the West is doing some things to catch up. I like what Purdue's doing a lot. I, I think that they're my pick to come out of the West this year. Uh, Northwestern obviously has an opportunity to get back uh, um, again. You know, after last year, it was fun to actually be there in person to watch uh, another team uh, represent the Big Ten in Indianapolis, not named Michigan. You know, it's crazy how they still haven't been there yet. I'm not saying they don't have a chance to go this year, but they did lose a ton on defense. Um, offense is going to be, I think, their strength this year, again, at the receiver position, much like Michigan State, kind of mirroring that. You have an experienced quarterback. You have three receivers that can go out there and get it done. Um, their running back uh, situation kind of concerns me a little bit. Um, and, again, it's just the defense. You know, who's going to fill in? Who's going to fill the void for some uh, pretty good players that obviously are going to play on Sundays for a long time? So um, this is definitely one of those years where, you know, bias and robbery aside, I'm not understanding why they're getting this, you know, preseason uh, top five, top ten ranking and uh, being picked to 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 win the Big Ten and essentially get to the college football playoffs. I'm just not seeing it yet, um, mainly because of what they lost on defense. And and this is a team that has repeatedly not been able to win the big game, and they had and they proved it again last year. They were embarrassed on the big stage a couple times. I mean, dominated by Notre Dame, dominated by Ohio State, embarrassed in the bowl game. I I don't get why that team that went through all of that. And then lost their best three defensive players is some shoe in in Vegas where, where they're the favorite, but the clear cut favorite to win the conference. I don't get it. I don't know what I'm missing. You know, maybe it's Ryan Day skepticism at Ohio State. I don't know. No one knows if Ryan Day will be good or not, but I don't see it. I mean, Scott, do you fear Michigan this year? Because I don't. Um, the only thing I fear is going to going to the big house. I mean, it's, it's it's a bummer to go on the road, but then again, we've won there the last two times we've gone. So um, that means nothing to me. It, yeah, it, it, going to the road. Sorry, I'll let you finish. But going on the road means something to me. Going on the road there means nothing to me. Right. So yeah, in a big rivalry, you know, anything can happen. Um, you know, no, they don't. They don't instill fear. I think that last year's team was better on paper. That was a better team. That was the team they. If they would handle business against Ohio State, they're going to Indy. They're going, you know, if they're playing for a chance to go to the Final Four, if you know, if some things fall their way. But um, I think the talent that they lost, like you, you guys both kind of went over. Like uh, this year's, I don't see it. I don't see it. The offense will be better, but that defense, they lost a lot. 
Can I jump in here for a second, guys? Yeah. Justin, if I want to jump in here for a second. And I've said this to you on previous shows, I think, too. So I am a casual Michigan fan. I did not grow up here. I went to, grew up in Boston, and I've always liked Michigan. But uh, if I pick between the two, I'm picking between Michigan. But I'm not, you know, a Michigan State hater or anything like that. In, in what you mentioned about the home field advantage at the big house, I remember going to Michigan games when I first moved here, and it was impressive, big stadium and all that. I went down and lived in New Orleans for three years, and I went to an LSU game. It was cold, it was rainy, it was three quarters full, and 75,000 there were louder than 110 in Ann Arbor. So I don't. I agree with you. I don't think that's as much of a home field advantage as you say. And to your point about Michigan getting all the love, I think a lot of it is just the brand. I think a lot of it nationally, as somebody who didn't grow up here and isn't didn't grow up as part of the rivalry, I think that nationally Michigan has this sexiness to the brand that state probably deserves but doesn't have on the same level that Michigan does. Well, I think you're – Absolutely right. I mean, Michigan State's been a much better program in the last 10 years if you value championships at all. I mean, Mi- Michigan, they, sure. have, they, they have to buy a ticket if they want to go to Indy. <laughs> like, I, I, I actually memorized the directions. I could tell you how to get there now. I've been there so many times. I-69. <laughs> it's pretty easy, but let's not let's say that uh, for the sake of the joke. But, I mean, let, let's ask the one person in the room that's actually, like, been on the field in these games. Darian, you've been at the shoe. You've won a huge game as a big underdog at the shoe at Ohio State. Uh, you've gone to Kinnick uh, at Iowa, which is a house of horrors over the years for many teams. Be honest. I know you're not a Michigan fan, but do you find or did you find as a player Ann Arbor, the big house, to be an intimidating road atmosphere relative to the yeah, other no, schools? Yeah, no, not at all. Honestly, not even at with, all. It's even almost, with the rivalry with you guys coming in, the in-state yeah, rivalry. It's, it's almost too big. Of a place. I mean, it's it's almost to the point where you're like a little speck on the field, and you don't even realize what's going on around you because it's packed 115 people, or 15,000 people in there. You know, there's 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 no seats. It's just benches, so you can pack more people in there, and it's just it's so big that it almost takes away from it. You know, the more intimate settings are are better. You know, environments uh, I think to play in, especially on the road. I mean, my favorite's always been Nebraska. Playing on the road in Nebraska, uh, in terms of Big Ten, is, uh, is is as loud as it gets. It's the most hostile environment I've played in. You mentioned Kinnick, uh, Iowa is crazy because the fans are right up on you. Um, same thing with Ohio State, though. Like it just it's it's so iconic and and such a big establishment that you're almost just more kind of worried about that than even thinking about like how many fans are screaming. Um, and I just, I, I've never, I never heard the volume in Michigan, uh, in the big house that I've heard in other places. And maybe it's just a rivalry. Maybe it's the fact that we've gone in there, uh, with a mission, you know, maybe it's the fact that we enjoy playing the road. Like I love playing on the road. It's fun to play on the road. So, um, especially in that regard, I've, I've never seen like you know, a road as a disadvantage either as a player. You almost kind of enjoy playing on the road, um, sometimes maybe more than playing at home, just because you get a chance to spoil somebody's day. Um, you know, I went against Ohio State in 15. That was a senior night. So it's like what better way to spoil a home game than that? You know it's going to be Ezekiel Elliott's last game. I mean, there are so many things going with that. It made it more fun to play there than it would have to play that game uh, at home. So I've never really even seen, like, field advantage uh especially in football is a big a big thing i mean i'd rank college basketball as probably the the number one in terms of like home court advantage um and i just i wouldn't have like home field advantage up there well i'm not surprised that you're not phased by being on the road because we went to the the michigan michigan state basketball game you scotty and i and uh your girlfriend was there as well at uh the breslin center this year the second of the three games between the teams 
and Scott and I were having heart attacks. <laughs> Scott and I had our hands uh, all over our hair, our face, our legs. We were just we we looked like we were on some type of hard drug. Uh, we barely got through that game alive. And uh, Darian Harris is sitting next to us, uh, looking like he's at a funeral. I mean, <laughs> just totally unfazed. You, you didn't say two words for two hours. It just sat there, you know. And you're you're a talkative guy, but no one. I wasn't interested in talking to you because I was about to die. Right. Um, you just sat there, didn't <laughs> stone cold, get, didn't give a shit. Cold. But when when the game you know pulled away and Michigan State took a big lead at the end, he was going nuts. Then it you was, get excited, <laughs> exactly. No, that's just that's how it is. You know, that's how you got to be, uh, especially as a player. You know, you got to keep it calm, and especially me myself, just how I played and what my value was to the team was kind of be the the piece and the moderator. Uh, but I, but I I will be honest. I, I think I might have talked about this last time I was on watching the Elite Eight game was a lot different. That was, you know, standing up, me being behind the couch. I was glad I was watching it alone. Um, I have to admit, that one was a lot more stressful uh, just because it was, you know, it just, just what was on the line. I mean, you know, beating Michigan is, is, is fantastic every time, no matter what sport. But we, we could have still lost that game and had an opportunity to go to the Final Four. This sure. one was it. I mean, it was dead set, and it was a lot riding on the line. There was a trip for, you know, myself and my friends to be able to go and experience that. Um, obviously, the the history for Michigan State to be able to have that another Final Four for Coach Izzo. So that game, I was a lot more animated and uh, a lot less stoic for that one. I'll have to take your word for it because you were <laughs> you were dead at the Breslin Center. I I, I thought you were uh, taking some of that CBD oil or something. <laughs> Darren, let me ask you a question. How how is it different going from and it's a different sport, but going from being a player where you have some control? You're one of eleven guys, but you, you have some control over the game to being a fan. Is it, it once you've been on the field controlling in some way the outcome of the game? Is it a lot harder? A lot you feel a lot more helpless as a fan? Oh yeah, than beforehand? definitely, definitely a lot more helpless. And now as a coach, you know, coaching at Wall Lake Western, I'm getting it from a third angle. So it, it yeah. is, um, it, it's 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 weird territory to be in, um, and having to see it, I get you know to see it from all three phases. It's fun, it's exciting, um, but it's also challenging in different ways. You know, as a player, obviously everything you do is going to affect the outcome of the game. You can't be out there making mistakes. You know, if you make a mistake, um, you cost your team, you know, something. As a fan, you. You literally just have to sit there, obviously, and watch. You can't have any input on the game. You can't help. You can't coach anybody. Um, you know, you, you can't give input of seeing what you see. Because as, as a fan, I'm still watching as if I was a player. So I'm watching the game as if I was lined up out there, uh, you know, next to Joe at outside linebacker. And it's like what I may be seeing something that, say, Antoine or, or Tyreek right now is not seeing. And it's like I can't go tell them that. Um, but no matter then, how hard you scream at the TV. Oh yeah, um, it, it depends. You know, it, it really depends. It depends on the game. Um, depends who I'm around. Um, you know, I'm 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 much more likely to get animated with I'm with my like former teammates and friends because they'll get animated. And I won't have a choice than I am watching it by myself. Um, <laughs> where just in my head it'll be a lot of yelling and screaming, or I might you know say a couple things out loud. Uh, and then obviously as a coach, you know, it's just trying to get your kids to do. Uh, what you want them to do, which is a whole different dynamic, but it's a fun one, and you actually have a little bit of input and outcome, you know, effect of the outcome of the game because you can take what you're seeing and then try to get it to your kids as quickly as possible. Go out there and make plays. So, being a coach, does that give you more of an appreciation for your coaches over the years and how they were trying to put you in a position? Oh, like? absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, I knew that early on, uh, just in my playing career, and as I went along as a player, I enjoyed being coached and coach 
hard. But, you know, now I'm able to tell my kids I'm not going to have them doing anything that I never did. And I think that's the best, you know, advice that I can give them to for what my coaching style is going to be. But it does. It gives you a different appreciation uh, because you know how frustrated they may have gotten when you weren't getting something right or you kept making the same mistake over and over again. Um, so it definitely gives you a different outlook on the coach-to-player uh, relationship. We, we've talked about a little bit about these Michigan State seasons being upended by uh, inept offenses. Um, you have an elite defense, offense can't score. You were on one of those teams as a freshman in 2012 we talked about. What I've always wondered, and this really came up last year, but same thing in 2012. Scott and I have talked about it. You're a member of that defense. You've been a member of one of them. Do you not want to strangle the offense? <laughs> it's just a little bit. Because I played high school football, which is like run the old bit siren. It means nothing. I admit that. But I'm saying if, if I felt it at this little puny level, a little tiny private school that would get uh, their dick pounded by anybody, if I felt frustrated that our defense was a lot better than our offense, which it was, how can you guys with Big Ten championships on the line potentially not want to strangle – Andrew Maxwell in 2012, <laughs> the entire offensive line in 2018. Be honest, you're dominant on defense, three and out, three and out, three and out, and then you're right back on the field in 10 seconds. you got to get a little frustrated. I think during the time uh, while you're on the team and while you're playing, especially during the game, you don't even notice. You know, you're just going out there doing your job. It's instilled in you so much that you, just, you have a job to do. Uh, to the point where, you know, like I didn't watch the offense at all, I, 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 you come off the side, you know, off the field, sit on the sideline, you get the adjustments, and so I'm not watching what's going on on the field. So, yeah, you you can feel that that sudden change if it's like a quick turnover or a three and out or something that was quick. But other than that, you know, if it's a five or six play drive, it it may as well have been a ten to twelve play drive. I mean, you literally just don't realize it until afterwards and then when you're watching film you only kind of focus on what you're doing to make sure you're doing what you can to win the game now years later you might look back and be like wow you know 2012 we could have just figured it out i mean we had a shot at another trip to indianapolis stuff things of that nature so you know years later you definitely look back but in the moment um especially when it's guys that you're close to you know you you don't you honestly don't really get frustrated like i don't remember um having really any conversations about like what happened in, in 2012 uh, at all. And I would assume that, uh, you know, depending on how this year looks, they're not really going to talk about last year that much. Uh, and I, 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 you know, can honestly say that what people, you know, what players say um, general, general, you know, generally, especially for Michigan State to media and how they feel about their teammates and stuff like that is genuine. I, I'm sure it is. I mean, there wasn't one uh, bad word that leaked out from anybody about you know, resentment of the offense. I just know, I mean, Scotty and I play pickup basketball from time to time. Somebody blows a layup, half the team like, wants to Oh, yeah. Out. I mean, you're definitely going to get frustrated. I'm yeah. not saying that. And, and you know, you're going to go – uh, you know, you're going to go down and talk to the other side and try to get them going and get them ramped up. But football is just – it's such a, a, a game of different parts. And it's like – you know, it's it's just not as simple as flipping a switch, and that's what I've always tried to get fans to understand. Like, you can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden everything's different. It's it's literally years of philosophy that's poured into a program, and then you output what you got. I mean, you know, I know we get spoiled. Uh, kind of by looking at like Alabama and Clemson, and I, I know that fans of, of all schools, not just Michigan State, but of, I'm sure of Michigan, uh, maybe even of Ohio State, uh, of, of Georgia, of all schools, are like, why can't we just be them? 
It's just it's not that simple. Like everything you have to do has to cater to your coaching staff and to your players. I think that's the main thing also. And especially again, that's what I'm learning now, coaching, especially at the high school ranks where you don't have obviously uh D one guys everywhere. You don't even have college athletes at every position. So it's like how can you figure out a way to call plays and make sure to put your players in the best position to be successful? We want to go out there and spread it, you know, four or five wide and send everybody deep and think, you know, we're gonna have three receivers with 100 yards a game it's like do, do we have those players this year maybe we do but you know last year did we have did we have an offensive line to be able to do that did we have the players um at the old line that were going to allow Lewerke or Lombardi or whoever was in to have the time to run this air raid that everybody wants because that's what everybody wants you know if we're being honest everybody wants a 40 point uh a game offense do we have the players to get that do we recruit the players to get that I mean it's just there's so many nuances to college football it's like we go out and we recruit a certain type of player, and that's what we get. And if you look at the teams, whether it's 2015 going to the playoffs or 2012 uh, going 7-6, and six, it's the same type of player on the team. It's just how do, you, how do they develop, what can you get out of them, and what can you maximize out of them. You know, Andrew Maxwell is a four-star player out of high school. I'm not, I don't think anybody thought that what happened in 2012 was going to happen to him when he got his shot. Connor was a three-star, you know, couple-offered kid coming out of Ohio. All of a sudden turns into arguably the best quarterback of all time at Michigan State. Um, you look at the plays. We called the exact same offense in 12 as we did in 14 and 15. It's just a matter of now what players are going out there and executing the plays. Uh, do you have somebody like Connor that can go out there and run around back and forth three different times and then toss it up to Tony Lippett, who was triple covered, and he comes out and make a catch? You know, I don't know. I mean, that's just what it comes down to with football. And, again, that's bringing it full circle is why I don't get as frustrated and I'm just kind of a sit back and let's see what we got type of guy. I have a question kind of to segue off what you're saying here. So – like last year, let's say, you know, all these games was like the score was like seven to six in the third quarter, fourth quarter, it's like ten to nine, ten to seven. So the defense is sitting there, they're I mean, desperately hold, clinging on to this game. It's like if we don't if we allow them to score even a field goal, this game could be out of reach because yep. the offense is gonna pick it back up. But kind of going back to 14, 2013, 2014, 15, you know, those defenses were so good and it was fun to watch because the offense could get you at lead, like let's say 24 to 10 and then the opposing offense they get desperate they're you know they're in comeback mode and then the defense can kind of just strangle them out is it as a defensive player is it a lot easier you know to sit there with a lead is it the pressure got got to be off you right and it makes it a lot more fun to fly around because you know the offense opposing offense is going to be in comeback mode throwing the ball um, I think that would just alleviate a lot of pressure off of this defense that's already all-time great. You know what I'm saying? If, if this offense can get us a touchdown or two lead, do you think that's going to even make the defense even better, get more turnovers, get more sacks, get more, you know, you just you get more out of this already great defense? Yeah, I mean, it definitely opens the door for that to happen because then it puts the opposing offense in a passing situation. Uh, but, you know, I, I guarantee you, if you think about the Michigan game last year, if you ask Joe and Kenny how they feel about it, they're like, shoot, if we didn't let them score, we win the game. Uh, same thing with the bowl game. You don't let Oregon score a touchdown, you win the bowl game. So that's just always going to be the, the mindset, I believe, is of a great defensive player. And again, you know, it just it's it's about pieces. I mean, if we have a a, a guy that's a you know a two to three hundred carry a season running back that can go over twelve hundred yards, changes the defense tremendously. We'll see if we have that this year. 
20, you know, 13, all of a sudden that was Jeremy Langford. Did anybody see that coming? I, no, no, of nope. course not. It, take, it took three games, all of a sudden we have an all-time great back back there. That changes the entire offense. So it's like, it's things like that that you just, you never know. You never know. I mean, it's what everybody wants guys to just, you know, everybody wants to, to re-up, reload, roll guys in, bring these four and five star whoever's off the street to come on in and, and fill these voids. And the truth of the matter is that's just not going to happen. Um, arguably anywhere. I mean, if you're not named Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, um, you know, and it's just it's not going to happen in Michigan State, which is, again, why I don't get so, you know, I get frustrated when we don't win, but I understand the process is you you got to see who you got. You got to see what type of players you have. And somebody will have a breakthrough type of year in some kind of way. Um, also, last year was a record-setting amount of injuries. And that's the first time that I have ever seen that many injuries that I would actually say, okay, we can actually kind of use this as a reason why things weren't clicking. I mean, you, you know, you, you last year we returned the most starters in the entire country. And every single one of them got hurt. So it's like, at, at that point, it's like, okay, when does that have some type of impact on what's going on? Uh, once your starting quarterback, your top three receivers, and three of your offensive linemen are hurt, I, I, yeah. I think you're in the, the realm of, like, okay, maybe you don't want to say it's an excuse, but it's definitely a reason. The bottom line is, if this year's team has a decent offense, I think it's the best team in the Big Ten. That This is not a Spartan fan that picks Michigan State every year. I mean, I think I haven't picked us to win the conference in probably four years. I think it's the best team in the Big Ten if that offense is just decent. They they had an elite defense last year, and they're all coming back. I feel very good if this offense can just be competent. I want to talk a little bit more about Michigan round back there. They've been talking a lot of junk on Twitter. They were talking a lot of junk uh, on and off the field last year. We have a little bit of audio from Rashawn Gary was on the Rich Eisen show uh, leading up to the NFL draft. I had some comments about uh, Michigan State and and what's going to happen in Ann Arbor next year. So let's play that and then we'll talk about it. What did you think of when you saw Devin tear up the middle of the field with it, with his with his cleats? That's just a game I wish I was there for. Um, you know, every time you go play our little sister. Oh boy, little sister. Oh my gosh. Twice. You know, it's always the type of passion and anger that you have for that type of game. And just seeing, you know, my brother go out there with the emotions that I would have had times 100, you know, it hurts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we came out with the win and we own Michigan, period. Okay. By the way, he leaned into the leaned microphone in for that. Time, yeah. Yeah. Just so everybody know out there for you state fans, University of Michigan, Wolverines, that's our state, period. And we see y'all next year. Well, that's nice of Rashawn Gary to say, considering he was suspended and on the couch in his apartment watching that game, and he doesn't have to be held accountable for his words in 2019 because he's in the NFL. Darian, this type of talk, is it just fan stuff, or do you think going into that game, Michigan Week comes up in November this year, do you think our players on this year's team are looking at that, are looking at the highlights of Devin Bush stomping on the field uh, at Spartan Stadium? Do they use that stuff, or is that more of a fan thing? Oh, they. I just think they use the rivalry. I mean, I know that's what we use. And, what I, again, what I loved about Coach Antonio is he made it very clear that this isn't just another game. And I think that's important across all sports. I, I can't stand when coaches and players line up for a rivalry game and say, oh, it's, it's, it's just another game. It's, it's not. 
that takes away from the sport. Like the whole point of sports and of going to somewhere like Michigan State or Michigan or Ohio State is to play in these rivalry games. So embrace that, hype it up, and and believe it and trust in it. And that's the reason why Michigan State has been so, so successful since Mark Antonio has has come to coach the Spartans is because he made it clear that it's not another game. Uh, he made it clear that it is a personal game, and you have to go out there and treat it as such. So yeah, I mean we're gonna you know they'll look at those types of things as motivation and stuff like that. But it'll it'll come from internal. It'll come from internal. That week of practice is always different than any other week across the season, no matter who we're playing, as it should be. And again, that's what makes it fun. Um, you know, the the, the fan uh, dynamic is just an interesting one. I just love sitting back and watching it. Um, and I'll throw in my two cents here and there, but I always love to like put things out there that will maybe get somebody upset or maybe not. Um, and obviously, the latest is right now is that excerpt from the book, whatever book that is, that said that an assistant coach after um, you know that he he has trouble with the sap, Jalen Wash Jackson playing fifteen, like came out of the the skybox and said something to Coach Harbaugh's wife. I mean, it's 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 things like that that are just is how I know that obviously a rivalry is going to be never ending, but nobody on any side, on either side, is ever going to come to any sort of agreement on anything. I mean, there's no way that you can convince, I'm sure, any Michigan fan out there on Twitter that this didn't happen. And there's no way that you can convince any Michigan State fan that this did happen. And that's just the dynamic that's always going to exist. And um, at, at some points it gets kind of unhealthy, uh, especially for, for people that are you know literally living and dying vicariously through these games. Um, and that's when I just sit back and just kind of enjoy it and laugh. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to enjoy it and laugh when you won the majority of your games against a rival, but also just when you played because you get a different dynamic and you realize that at the end of the day, we're just 18 to 22-year-old kids out there playing a game, and it's like everybody is literally losing their mind over a game. Like, it's just crazy for me to think about. But there is a lot of gr- good things that comes out of that. There's a lot of good that we can do in the world because of a game. And if it if the trade-off is fans going crazy on social media for it, uh, over-the-top on both sides, Michigan and Michigan State fans both say over-the-top things from time to time um, that, that, that teeter off in the realms that I don't think should be involved in sports. That's just kind of how it goes. I, I think Michigan State is clearly the biggest rival of the Michigan Wolverines now. And it's so funny because they get so mad when you say it. Oh, yeah. But we all work uh, in Michigan right now. We all have lives. We have jobs. We're at the water cooler. I have seen a 1,001 Michigan-Michigan State weeks, and I've seen a 1,001 Michigan-Ohio State weeks. It's a lot more tense around the office when Michigan's got Michigan State on the schedule. Ohio State, I don't know – I, I'm not denying that Ohio State used to be their biggest rival. That's indisputable. It's been so one-sided lately, though. That's part, for the last that's like part 20 of it. Twenty years, not yeah. just lately. At what point is it not lately anymore? Like lately, <laughs> to me, is like eight years. Lately, uh, once you're in the the second decade of it, I. But I, I get your point. But no the other part of it too, Justin, is. We don't have a lot of Ohio State fans around here. You're a state guy. I guarantee you work with Michigan fans. If the, That's why it's so hot around the water cooler is because you guys both have a dog in the fight. You're not going to drive down to Columbus and pick a fight with an Ohio State grad. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> I'll tell you what. They were actually pretty nice in 2015 when we ripped their heart out, uh, nicer than I was treated in uh, Ann Arbor. I thought Columbus got kind of a bad rap, but small sample size was only one game. But that, that's part of my point is your regional rival 
because you do have people that root for the school and they're not in Columbus, that's part of why they're the biggest rival. I'm not saying it's all a meritocracy. It's a merit-based uh, state of affairs based on what Michigan State's done on the field. If that were the case, as good as D'Antonio's been, he didn't win a national title like Urban Meyer did. So, I mean, it is based in large part on the regional factor, but the fact is that they hate us more than they hate Ohio State. They can deny it, but their behavior betrays that narrative. I think it even starts when you're a kid in school. Like when you're five years old and, you know, half your classmates are Michigan fans, the other half Michigan State. And then obviously, the inst- especially with the in-state kids um, that are recruited to these schools to play, they're growing up with it too. You know, they're growing up being recruited maybe by both schools and their friends, their peers, the kids they're playing in seven-on-sevens with and, in, you know, in elite camps and doing different combines with. Some are going to Michigan, some are going to Michigan State, and that breeds that like organic rivalry before you even put the put you know put the uniform on. It starts in childhood. It's it's a huge part of it, and that was our experience. I think growing up, um, you know, it was Michigan, Michigan State. No one talked about Ohio State when I grew up. I mean, it's no one cares. So they can say whatever they want. I, I think they're afraid to admit it, and I think it's been a, a, a disservice to themselves. I think it, it, the fans don't really have any influence, but the players treating Michigan State like an afterthought, like uh, a little brother. The little brother comments from Mike Hart in 2007 were the best thing that have happened to Michigan State, like ever, like ever in that rivalry. I can't imagine. I, 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 I actually had dinner uh, with Mike Hart in Ann Arbor uh, with our, our friend Jack at uh, the Little Brown Jug during my Michigan State days, and I told him that it was the best thing he could have done for us. It was the best thing he could have done for us. And he said, oh, well, they didn't beat me when I was there. And I'm like, that's, that, that's fine. But thank you for the assist because you have launched at that point. It was a half-decade uh, run of success. I don't know. Michigan's finally catching up, and I think that's why they're doing a little better now. Rich Rod and Brady Hoke treated Michigan State like Rich Rod didn't give a shit about anything uh, in terms of the tradition of Michigan. And Hoke thought that Michigan State was beneath them. I think Harbaugh actually gets it, which is why he's two and two and a hair away from being three and one. This year will be big. I think Michigan State takes it to him in the big house this year. I want to wrap with Darian. I appreciate his time, but I want to finish with this. Go on the record, both of you. Darian, you go first. What's the record this year for Michigan State football? Uh, entire season. Um, it's it's you know it's tough when you get to, to figuring out which bowl is going to happen. So regular season. Um, you know, I see it's tough. I see ten and two, uh, but I find I feel like that still ends up with a berth in Indianapolis somehow. So I see uh, a win over Michigan. Um, you know, I I almost see a win over Michigan and a win over Ohio State and then drop somewhere else. Maybe the Penn State one gets you. Maybe uh, a, a, a game against a West opponent gets you. Northwestern. Uh, yeah, Northwestern. That's the one. That's the Achilles heel for for Michigan State. But I still see it as resulting in a trip to Indianapolis because I agree with you. I think if the offense is clicking, it's the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, and and that's just that's not bias talking. That's just on paper. Uh, defense is what can carry you in this conference. You just need an offense to be able to put some points up on the board it's the most undervalued team uh, in the conference by far and one of the most in the country the fact that the vegas over under open at seven and a half is insane yeah it's yeah take that all day take that all day give me eight Mm -hmm. and four i win with eight and four correct it's nuts scott where are you at with this team uh gun to my head i'd say nine and three i think nine and three is fair um i want to say ten and two i wanted to but go nine and three i think the offense obviously i don't think it really can get worse than last year so it's going to take a step forward but you know remains to see how big of a step forward they take. So, 
I'm optimistic. We are on the doorstep of the college football season. I could not be more excited. Uh, Scott, thank you for joining us. And, of course, Darian Harris uh, of Michigan State fame, your second time on the show. It is a pleasure. I'd love to have you back again. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. That was Darian Harris, Scott Anderson. This has been the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks to Jag in Detroit, our producer. Always uh, wonderful pressing the buttons and making me sound a little less dumb. Uh, so thanks, Jag, for I that. I can only do so much. Well, I know. You're, you're actually underpaid for it. What a great job you do. So uh, this has been the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Thanks again to Scott Anderson and Barry Moore.